Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. This is episode 55, Models Gone Bad. And yes, I understand that's kind of a clickbaity title, uh, but it got you to click, so really you've got no one to blame but yourself. Uh... Models Gone Bad. We'll talk about that in just a second, but I want you to understand, first of all, that this episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify is a manager of alternative ETFs solving today's most pressing portfolio challenges. This includes income solutions like SVOL, yield curve plays like TUA, and 6040 diversifiers such as CTA. If you are an individual investor or registered investment advisor, you will likely find that something they have done addresses a particular problem you have that you didn't know was solvable. Check out their website at simplify.us. That's simplify.us. And you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. As always, I appreciate the sponsorship. Today on the show, uh, I'm going to talk about inflation models. See, that's not nearly as exciting as models gone bad, is it? But specifically, we're going to talk about mistakes that many people are making. Um, and and actually, to, to some extent, uh, that I've been making as well. Um, and why inflation going forward here may be higher than we were thinking. Um at least for a while. We've been getting a lot of upside surprises to inflation data, and um, and there may be a reason that goes back to the models. Um, but before I get into that, I, I first, I, I had a little random thought, and it's related to inflation and interest rates, so I thought I would bring it up. Um, kind of a random thought. You know, there have been so many things uh, affected by inflation and, and interest rates that we just haven't thought of in, about in a while, you know little relationships that we got used to working a certain way and then and then we have higher interest rates, you know, drastically higher interest rates and higher inflation and, and they don't work the same. So for example, and what came up uh, in the last week or so, uh, is the uh, accounts payable uh, account. Uh, higher interest rates have an interesting, pernicious effect that I have noticed firsthand. Uh, higher interest rates create an incentive to stretch payables. What do I mean by stretch payables? Well, if you normally would send the check in two weeks, maybe you send it in three weeks, maybe you send it in four weeks. Um, your account's payable. You pay those invoices a little bit more slowly. And this often happens when a business is experiencing some sort of uh, a cash crunch. And so they need to, you know, have more cash on hand. Uh, they try to collect their receivables quicker and extend their payables. Classic. Nothing wrong with that. Happens all the time. Um, but when interest rates are higher, and again, I hadn't really thought about this in a while, um, when interest rates were at zero, there was really no reason um, to keep all that extra cash on hand. I mean, you know, cash earned zero, so if you had more of it on hand than you needed, there's really no point of that. So you, you know, would err on the side of keeping your suppliers happy. 
uh, when you know, unless you really needed cash. Well, now that interest rates are five percent, that cash has has some value. And so even if you're not stressed, um, a business has an incentive to stretch, to stretch payables. Uh, for example, if you if you're a business and you have one million dollars uh, on average in payables, and you could stretch payables two weeks, then you make nineteen hundred bucks a year, um, just from doing that, just from paying slightly slower, and yeah, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. So, um, anyway, and that's assuming that in you know interest rates are around you know four and a half or five percent. So, um, anyhow, random thought has nothing to do with the rest of the show. Let's get on with the rest of the show. Um, I know that I that when I talk about models, um, you you might not understand all of the terms. Um, you know, I uh, I understand I have listeners from kind of all walks of life. I've got quants, and I've got um, you know people who whose last math was in you know grade school. So um, it, and so I know I use a, a lot of terms sometimes that, that might be a little confusing. And people occasionally will write to me and say, you know what, I understand about 70% of what you're saying, but I just don't follow the rest of it. So um, I have to remember that. And so I appreciate the, the emails that say, hey, you know, you need to dumb it down sometimes. Um, I'm going to tell you at the end of, the, of today's broadcast something I think I'm going to do that will make that a little bit better. But obviously, I get it. I, and I, I try to simplify these these concepts. But you know, still people are going to cringe when I say something like mean reversion. Um, but, um, but that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and so let me explain what mean reversion is and why it matters and what we mean by it. Let's start first with what's a model. Why, why do we model things? When we create a model, um, and it can be a, a model in a spreadsheet it can be kind of how we think about something. That's a mental model. We're trying to, with a model, either explain why something happened. Like, oh, well, okay, let's see. I, the, the sun shone and I watered this patch of, of ground and grass grew. So, okay, I have this model that if you apply energy in, in the form of sunshine and, uh, and, and water to... To something, then then things tend to grow. So that's a model, right? Um, so we're either trying to explain why something happened, or predict something that's going to happen, or or both. So having seen that when I water the ground and it's sunny, that things grow. Now I have a model that now I can predict. I go to another patch of ground and it's sunny, and I water it, and I expect something to grow. Now they it might not because I haven't fully specified my model. I left something out, and that is that there's something there to grow. But, but let's um, think about throwing a marble. Okay, very simple type of model that you, know, you talk about in physics class all the time. I've got a marble, and I'm trying to predict how far I can throw a marble. So what are the inputs? What do the inputs look like? Well, the, I, I want to know the force that I can apply to that marble the angle I'm throwing it, the weight of the marble, air resistance, gravity. And a lot of those are sort of assumptions. Um, you know, I can calibrate how hard I throw the marble. I can obviously weigh the marble. But how much wind there is is going to be an assumption uh, because when I throw it, 
the wind may or may not be blowing at wherever I had assumed, um, or, or even gravity. Um, if I'm wrong about the assumptions, then I get bad predictions. Okay, so if I, if the marble turns out to be uh, four times heavier than I really thought, then then I'm going to predict that I throw it farther than I actually can throw it. More perniciously, and, and that's obvious, like obvious, right? So if I if I if I don't have the correct recipe, then my cookies come out and they don't taste so good. Um, you know, so that's 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 sort of obvious that if you've got a model and you've got the wrong inputs, then you get the wrong outputs. More perniciously, though, you can get bad predictions if you're wrong about the process. Um, you know, if I think that uh, that bottled water, that consumption of bottled water causes hurricanes, because I notice that bottled water consumption always is higher in months that have hurricanes, then I'm I'm making a mistake of causality, right? I mean, it's the it's it's, it's hurricanes that causes people to have to drink water, bottled water, not bottled water causing causing hurricanes. Um, or if you go back to the marble chucking uh, example, and I probably should stick to one example at a time, but whatever. What if um, what if gravity doesn't work the way that we think gravity works? Now, with gravity, that's obviously silly. We have tons of experimental data, uh, and we're pretty sure we know exactly how gravity works. In fact, we're so sure. Um, and that we, you know, we send air uh, spacecraft deep, uh, you know, out of the solar system by slinging them around planets, and and we better be exactly right about how gravity works, or the spacecraft ends up in the wrong place. And you don't have to be very far off for the the spacecraft to go plunging in the wrong direction. And the fact that we make such good predictions about where our spacecraft should go tells you we really do understand gravity. Um, inflation, eh, a little less so. The nice thing about gravity is you can run very specific controlled experiments to figure out the force of gravity. Um, but we don't get good experiments in economics. So, so you look at history and you try to tease out what is going on. But there's a lot of things going on at any given time. That's the only experiment we can have in, in economics. And I'm not talking, uh, uh, actually, we can have experiments in like behavioral economics. There are a lot of really, really very cool uh, experiments, but it's really more psychology that you're really measuring there. If we want to figure out what drives an economy, there's just too much complexity going on to really reduce it. Um, and to run a good experiment. Um, and that brings me to mean reversion. Okay, so what does mean reversion mean? Um, the, suppose I make a prediction, okay? And I make a prediction about next period, okay? I've had some sort of output, uh, you know, I mean, and I had output, my, my production floor put out 50 widgets this 
uh, this quarter. And you know, widgets are hard to make. So 50 widgets this quarter. And so I have a, I want to make a prediction about next, about the widget production for next quarter. Is it going to be the same as this quarter? Is it going to be higher? Is it going to be lower? And, and that has something to do where I, where I start that, that bet, that guess, might have something to do with, hey, is 50 that I made this quarter, is that a lot higher than average? Or is it a lot lower than average? Should I expect it to be more like the average? Is the average a better guess or something along those lines? The marble maybe is a better example here too. Okay, so I throw the marble into the air and I, I can fairly firmly predict that it will... Its acceleration upward will decrease, eventually come to zero, and eventually it will accelerate downward and come to a stop sitting on the ground. It, I threw it away from the earth, but there's mean reversion at work that pulls it back to, to the earth. Um, and, and that's kind of me- weird mean reversion, but it's, 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 that's effectively what we're talking about. There's something which is pulling the relationship back to some prior equilibrium. And in the case of the marble, the equilibrium is sitting on the earth. Um, and so when I fling it away from the earth, the gravity tends to pull it back towards equilibrium, which is being at rest on the earth. So, does inflation work the same way? And that's the real question. If I fling inflation into the sky, which is what's happened over the last couple of years, do I expect it to gradually slow, stop, reverse, and and eventually fall? Well, models run by pretty much every economist assume that that happens. What I've been saying for a long time now is that, that the mean reversion... Uh, that everybody assumes is that inflation will go back to the old mean. It will go back to the two, two and a half percent that the Fed has been targeting and has been where inflation has successfully sat for the last quarter century. That has been the assumptions that two and a quarter has this natural attractiveness and inflation always goes back there. And I've said many, many times that that's a bad assumption. And that I don't think inflation is going to go all the way back there. It's going to go back into, you know, around four, perhaps. Well, I'm still, in that case, assuming a mean reversion. I'm assuming less pull. I'm assuming it doesn't go all the way back to two and a quarter. But I'm assuming, and all along I have assumed, that core inflation would decelerate in 2023. Um, What if... The mean reversion assumption is wrong. What if inflation does not act like the marble? Well, to, to address this question um, on, my, on the Inflation Guy blog, that's inflationguy.blog, I, I presented this week um, a, little, a little research, a very, very uh, simple little experiment, I guess, or, or historical analysis um, of whether or not inflation is mean reverting. And here's the way I did it. I said, if inflation is mean reverting, then 
when I look at today's inflation, and I'm predicting next year's inflation, if it's mean reverting and I have current and inflation is currently high, then I should predict that it's going to be lower. And if inflation is currently very low, I should predict it's going to be higher. In other words, whether it's 2% or 3% or whatever inflation is pulled to, if I'm above that level in year one, then I should expect in year two to be closer to, to that old level. So if inflation right now is at five, and I think the long-term mean is 2%, then I predict that next year it'll be at four or three or two, not at five, six, or seven. And so I went back and I looked uh, back to 1957. That's as far back as we have core inflation data. Um, and actually, I did this for headline first, and it's sort of a different, sort of an interesting observation. But let's let's start with headline. So you have, when you do this with headline inflation, what you find out is, and so again, what we're matching up is this year's inflation you know, the trailing, the last 12 months and the next 12 months. Um, and so it, what we find is that if the last 12 months inflation was 2%, then on average, the next 12 months was at 2%. Okay, makes sense. If over the last 12 months inflation was zero, then over the next 12 months, we actually expect 2%. So inflation being super low, historically, we're talking about headline inflation, led to inflation that was higher than today's inflation. Uh, on the other hand, if inflation last year was 9%, then inflation next year we expect to be 7 So high inflation tends to be followed by somewhat lower inflation. Okay, that's all headline inflation. And so that would say that there is mean reversion in inflation, and that's great because that's what everyone assumes. Here's the problem. That's mean reverting because it includes energy. And energy we know is mean reverting. We know gasoline prices go up and down. That's not at all a surprise. Uh, so the question is, does that happen with core inflation? And here's the funny thing. The answer is no. The best, between 1957 to 2022, the best forecast for, neck, for, the, for, for core inflation for the next 12 months, the best forecast was core inflation from the last 12 months. So if core inflation was 2, your forecast is 2. And on average, you'd be right. Core inflation over the last 12 months was 3%. Your forecast for the next 12 months would be 3%. If it was 4%, your forecast would be 4%, and so on. There's no, not a, there's really no mean reversion until you get up to like 10 or 11%. And then there seems to be some mean reversion, but we, we, we might just not have enough data. I mean, it, there's only one episode since 1957 where we had 12% core inflation. And so that could be a weird idiosyncrasy. But, but all the rest of the data falls right on that line. If you expect, if you had 4% inflation, your best guess is 4% inflation. Uh, core inflation. And by the way, your best forecast for two years from now is also 4%. Now, that's really shocking. Now, obviously, there's a whole range of things. I'm talking about the average. But, but that's really shocking because when inflation is high, you would assume, and you'd be correct, that the Fed is pushing the other way. 
And so you'd think that monetary policy should induce some mean reversion in core inflation. It doesn't. It's, at least it's not in the data. And now, the fancier ways to look at mean reversion than what I've done. It was surprising as all heck to me that doing it in this very simple way, you get a very simple answer, and that is core inflation does not mean revert the way we have assumed. Well, um, what that means is, for us as investors, as economists, is that um, if there's no mean reversion, it means that inflation, core inflation anyway, is going to surprise us against the models because the models assume mean reversion. So, and that's what's happened so far this year. We've had core inflation surprising on the upside, and there's all kinds of reasons for it. You can look at and say, well, gee, you know, rents haven't come down or, you know, this, that, or the other thing moved. But the fundamental point is that so far, core inflation, median inflation, they haven't decelerated like everybody assumed. And I assumed it less than other people, but I assumed it too. So I made that same mistake. Well, so anyway, that's sort of the, that, that is a, a, a fundamental issue here that, you know, if, you, if you're running models, you need to be as sure as you can about your assumptions and, and your inputs. Um, but you have, but sometimes the assumptions that you're making that you never really question turn out to not be right. And then the model goes bad. And that's, that's uh, a fundamentally uh, a problem. Another point, by the way, and I'll talk more about this next week. If we are unsure about our models, even something like this, even something about whether or not inflation is mean reverting, what is the role, what is the significance for monetary policy? Monetary policy is driven by models. So what is the role for monetary policy if we're not really sure if our models aren't all that good? And the answer is monetary policymakers should do very little. They should only, they should, they should have a really high standard for doing anything at all. It's kind of like trading. I talk about this and I actually talked about this on a, a, uh, a podcast, um, that'll, someone else's podcast that'll be out in, in, uh, next month, I believe. And, and we were talking about trading and I said, look, you know, one of the things I learned from some great traders was that trading, it should be boring. If you're doing stuff all the time, then you're doing it wrong. That 95% of the trades you make have zero expectation at best. Maybe you lose a little bit of money. It's on that last 5%, that last 10%, that's where you make all the money. And so the best traders sit around until they know they're in one of those 10% and then they do the trade. And, uh, and that's how monetary policy should work. Monetary policy should, unless we are really confident in our models, and I've just shown you there's a good reason to think that even things we take for granted aren't right. Monetary policymakers should, should, should sit around and do nothing until they are absolutely certain that they have to do something. Hey, supporting the the uh, the banking system and examining banks, there's lots of a role for Fed, for the Federal Reserve. But adjusting policy every six weeks, adjusting interest rates, is prob probably not going to be one of them. More on that next week. Okay. Um, 
Let's see. Let's um. Let's do a quick mailbag item here. We have a. Let's see. All right. So we have a mailbag question that I've been wanting to answer for a little while. It says, um, "Can you give us your thoughts on the uh, the theory that quote the U.S. dollar is headed towards certain and inevitable collapse, default, loss of worth?" I hear that a lot. Anyone dealing with inflation hears that from time to time. Here's the thing um, about the the dollar. There's lots of reasons to hate the dollar. But they're very similar to, to the reasons to hate every other currency. For example, one of the things that would typically leave a, uh, lead a currency to collapse would be profligate monetary policy, printing lots and lots of money. If you print, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars, then there are too many dollars around and the value of a dollar goes down relative to, say, a British pound or a, a euro. Unless everyone else is also printing trillions and trillions, and so the relative amount of dollars isn't changing very much. And so you have to keep in mind sort of the, the, the relative, uh, you know, sort of relative actions of, of governments when you look at the currencies. Now, in that circumstance, and that's the circumstance, obviously, that we've been in, that central banks the world over have printed and printed and printed, What's really happening is that all currencies are collapsing. <laughs> They're just collapsing against stuff, right? And that, that's what inflation is, is that inflation in every country is going up, and every country right now is surprising on the upside. And that's because we have too much currency chasing too few goods. Globally, it doesn't matter what currency you're in. So the question about whether or not the dollar or any other currency is going to collapse against all other currencies is, is sort of a different set of questions in my mind. And that's a question of the confidence that you have in the particular country or government. Uh, and, and the government in the United States, monetary policy in the United States, it's pretty bad. But it's not appreciably worse than it is everywhere else. So something has to happen to have people completely lose confidence and that's, by the way, that's how you get to, to hyperinflation. It's very hard to print your way to hyperinflation, but you can print yourself, uh, you, can, you can make things so bad that people lose faith in the currency unit. Um, again, we're not printing so much more than everybody else that, that you would say, you know, obviously the dollar is the one that's going to go in the, in the nine hole. But... Um, there are lots of other things that can lead to a total loss of confidence in the currency. Anyway, long story short, I don't see the dollar going, you know, to zero or getting really slaughtered against every other currency uh, anytime real soon. However, I believe that all currencies are going to continue to do poorly relative to stuff for a while. That is to say, inflation is going to stay higher and, in fact, higher than I thought for longer than I thought Um going forward. Thank you for the question. Uh, okay. And as we wrap up here, I want to take a quick look ahead and then we'll wrap up for the day. Next week, uh, I'm going to continue this discussion um, specifically about, about monetary policy and what uncertainty means for the, the conduct of monetary policy. Um, and, uh, and, and also tell you, and this is the reason you should tune you should tune in. I'm going to tell you about a recent development that uh, creates a better opportunity for individuals looking to hedge inflation. And it's something that um, 
have been waiting for for a very long time. Um, and you'll want to tune in because um, I will uh, I will have stuff to offer when you when you tune in. So that'll be next week. Um, and then soon I'm going to bring on a live guest. I'm going to – throughout this year I want to try to bring on a, a few live guests for all the people who are getting tired of hearing me yammering on, including me. Uh, and so I'm going to periodically try to do that. And then back to what I was saying earlier about, about you know, how – I know we have lots of different people, people from lots of different backgrounds listening to this podcast. One of the th- the ideas that I've had is that is to ca- start categorizing these podcasts um, in terms of their target level. So you know, one hundred one, two hundred one, three hundred one. You know, uh, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. And because I think some of some of the content um, is much easier to understand. And some of it is is a little bit more of a stretch, and and you, dear listener, probably know which of those categories you fall into, and so and so maybe that would help direct you a little bit better. I've got to think about how to how to do that. It can be by complexity level. It could be, um, uh, I, I don't know. If there are any librarians in the uh, uh, in the listening community here, and you've got any ideas of how I I could. Uh, reasonably categorize uh, this content, I would appreciate uh, your opinions on that, because that's yet another thing I don't know anything about. Anyway, that is all for today's podcast. Thanks again to our sponsors, Simplify.us, Simplify ETFs. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. Follow the blog, inflationguy.blog. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. Visit Enduring Investments. And most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. <laughs>